everyone. Welcome to a brand new year, and we are going to continue to bring you Bitcoin briefs uh, as often as we can, though I am about to start traveling once again as of this weekend. Uh, so for today's show, unfortunately, Leah was not able to make it, uh, but uh, we did have Rodolfo. We got a couple of cool topics. Um, I have to do another podcast in Russian on four o'clock at the top of the hour. Uh, so we are going to go ahead and jump right into it. But Rodolfo, man, how was your new year? Hey, it was uh, good and slow, you know, with a newborn. It's, uh, it changes the dynamic of, uh, of the party. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, uh, yeah, so it's all you stayed home, huh, with a newborn? That's right. Plus, you know, it's like we're swamped with the, the block clock and all the, the cold card things. That's <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, it's one of those weird years, man. Like, I think so many people, more than any other New Year's that I remember, just stayed home. Like, nobody wanted to do anything. Uh, I mean, I spent it in New York. It was miserable and raining. But even in general, I mean, hey, Nick was, like, streaming all night. People were, like, joining him. Uh, a lot of my friends, like a lot of people I know, just stayed home, didn't want to do shit. Why? It's because you're getting old and your friends are getting older. <laughs> <laughs> That's one reason. The bear market could be another one, though none of my friends are actually into Bitcoin. There is that. I'm like the, uh, I'm like the crazy one in my circles. All right. Let's, uh, let's jump right into it. We got a couple of topics. Of course, the hot topic this morning. Uh, oops, almost did the wrong screen share. That would have been bad. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> Uh, so proof of keys is the hot topic. We got about 13 hours. Um, like uh, you, you're on Twitter more than I am. Uh, what, what is it like? What does it feel like to you? Uh, like, do you think this is going to amount to anything? I mean, we did have uh, uh, the hit BTC situation, but hit BTC has always done this. Like, this isn't like yes. special. It's it, like it every, every other month you get this message from hit BTC. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's 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 in the making, right? The hit BTC stuff. It's, it's we all know about it. But what's interesting is just a nice timely reminder that if you don't own your keys, you don't own the bitcoins, right? If your bitcoins are somewhere else that is not under your control, you don't have them. It's not yours. I mean, you you're gonna probably end up got you're gonna probably end up robbed. It happens to everybody. Um, so. We, we thought that it would be important to sort of, um, you know, have a date like the January 3rd, uh, which is Bitcoin's anniversary, to remind everybody to, to take their, if they're not trading, right? I mean, I get it. You know, if you're daily trading, you can't take your coins out of an exchange. But the reality is that, like, I, I bet the majority of the people with coins in exchanges and centralized Bitcoin services like Coinbase are not trading, Right. And they shouldn't keep their Bitcoins there. It defeats the purpose, right? And we know for a fact that many exchanges do fractional reserving. I mean, it always comes out when, when they go bust. You know, they, it's very easy to add more numbers to your volume and have bots trading Bitcoin that doesn't exist. Um, and the only solution to that is for people, once in a while, take their coins out. You know, if enough people take them out, it's kind of like a forced audit. The least they have to do is have enough funds to get people whole uh, so they don't lose face. Yeah, no, and I agree with that, but like you really need a lot. Like even if they are running a fractional reserve, like even if Coinbase is running a fractional reserve, it's not like a 3% uh, 
uh, funds are there and 97% fractional reserve. I mean, even if these companies, even if HitBTC running a fractional reserve, I'm not sure, I, I don't think they're that stupid to have only like 10% of people's coins and the rest like, you know, like scammy. Well, like you're gonna need a serious movement. I mean, you're gonna need a, over 50% of the coins to leave an exchange in order to actually take down an exchange. Uh, I, I, just, I, don't, I just, so I don't disagree with coming you. out of this. I, I don't disagree, but I, I think it's a start. I think we, you know, this is a good way of getting your average person that's not trading to get their coins out, right? To do Bitcoin the way Bitcoin is meant to be done. Uh, be your own bank. Now, I think that, you know, the more you squeeze exchanges uh, on their uh, holdings, um, the, the more pressure you put on them, right? So even if it's small, these things do add up um, and, and it creates the idea that, you know, that you should take your coins out if you're not trading. Or, you know, if, if we get enough people around this stuff with the coins that are not trading, um, who knows, maybe next year we get everybody to take all their coins out for a week or two. Can you imagine if like every year for a couple of weeks, we completely disrupt all the exchanges by taking their coins out so that they have to prove reserves? I mean, this is not impossible, right? Uh, we just have to start somewhere. I, I think that's the key here. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's a good awareness movement and I always held on to my own keys. I've never held keys with third parties. And uh, that's what this channel has been trying to educate people on. I just clicked on this link. There's some kind of a lawsuit against HitBTC. I am surprised that HitBTC is still around, though I will say uh, HitBTC has been great. I mean, uh, friends of mine tell me that uh, HitBTC was probably the easiest way to sell your Bcash and to get your Bitcoin out of it with, uh, you know, through, uh, with no KYC or anything and somewhat high limits and somewhat efficient. Uh, so, uh, you know, even though that's what we want, no KYC and none of that stuff, um, oftentimes that's also a nice red flag on an exchange, right? <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it, it, it is uh, wanting my cake and eat it too here. Um, uh, you know, the future of no KYC is decentralized exchanges, right? It, it, it's going to happen um, just because, you know, as soon as you figure out the few well, different solutions. Like, uh, I, I'm, maybe, right? Uh, the, the I don't think it would be as big as centralized exchanges, right? Of course not. Well, but if we again, can, it's, it's a little different than that, right? Like, like I don't think, uh, okay, so if your exchange doesn't do KYC, the days of that exchange are numbered. You agree they're going, they're going away. Yep. Right. Um, now, how they're going away is going to depend on the management of the exchange. You know, they can go away like Poloniex, sell themselves to a, uh, you know, an entity that isn't, that's going to start high end regulation. They can end like, you know, like shapeshift and they're going to start just KYCing on their own. Um, they can end like one broker where the government comes in arrest people, but uh, some uh, some of the higher ups are nice enough to give you your coins back. And, um, or they could end like Cryptsy, where the CEO just runs away with the coins, right? Like- uh, Or you can always blame transaction malleability. Right, uh, they can end like Mt. Gox. Like you have no idea how you're, how it's, it's going to happen. happen. So, so it's going 
So that's why it's so important to do a few things, right? Like one thing is you want to diversify where you're trading, right? You don't want all your coins the same place because you're going to eventually, I mean, it's almost certain that eventually it's going to go away. All right. exchanges go away, right? Now, there is a ton of people who are not trading. So they go in, they buy, and they, or they're trying to sort of cost dollar average, whatever they're doing, right? But sometimes they're not just buying one, one go. But, but then they shouldn't be keeping the coins there. Um, yeah. Yep. Yeah. No, no, well, no, we, we all agree on that. We all like, but then, not then with you know, coins, like, get them you out. Have something like BitSquare, right? Like you will have, so it is possible to make decentralized exchanges, not for the whole market, but for a good section of the market where you have an, an almost seamless uh, thing that will look like a real, like a, a centralized exchange, but it won't function like one. That is not impossible. We're just not there yet. Um, you can use local people to do li uh, liquidity of fiat. There is, a, you know, and Bitcoin just transfer anywhere. So it, it is not impossible. It's just that we're not, not there yet. Yeah. And um, I, I got a couple of things to say on that part, like the decentralized exchange concept. I'm not, I'm not a believer a uh, couple of things there. So first of all, uh, it's very dubious to call yourself a decentralized exchange because you're an entity where the CEO of that entity can be arrested for creating a decentralized exchange. Uh, and then if everyone that works on the code of a decentralized exchange is at risk of getting arrested, no one is- No, on no, sorry, sorry, Tom. That, that's not true. So, you know, you have to think more like torrent you know, or Bitcoin itself, right? Like no Bitcoin dev is getting arrested because Bitcoin doesn't respect KYC and AML in all countries. It's, it's, it's totally possible to create a protocol that, you know, you have the, the exchange happening. Uh, what could happen though, and you're right, is- Well, this is the atomic, providing... swap. the atomic swap concept. Yeah, exactly. But you could have, have trouble for people providing fiat liquidity in the, in the, in the sort of in the localities but that's a problem right those people are at risk but the people running the software the people running the the you know their own uh exchange nodes kind of thing i don't think that it will ever be an issue yeah uh, no but, but it's early but, but here's the thing like what hodl hodl is doing is interesting uh they're not claiming to be a decentralized exchange but they don't have control of the funds right so they're just a uh, yeah. it's, uh, it's a multi-sig where they have one of the keys. They, have, they are not a custodian of anybody's money. But that's more um, like an OTC broker, right? It's, it's the same with bills. Right. right. So, you, you know, it, uh, Francis does the same with bills where, you know, you, if you need to sell Bitcoin or buy Bitcoin, you, so you, sell, right. you send them also, the Bitcoins. So it's also the same as ShapeShift and they're now KYCing, right? So again, it's not that simple. So I yes. think it all comes down to is, do you have an entity that is profiting from the transaction. Yep. Uh, that's gonna be the make or break it. Now, this is where uh, atomic swaps have an advantage because yep. that, the, 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 you're not taking, a, as far as I know, I think the only way uh, a decentralized exchange, AKA atomic swaps are actually going to be censorship resistant is if there's nobody taking a direct cut of the transfer process, right? Like literally, like uh, this is why Bitcoin core developers are not at uh, at risk because they're not taking a cut from the Bitcoin transactions. But that's uh, that's true with most open source sort of decentralized protocols, right? 
it's kind of like torrent as well. There's nobody taking a cut of a transaction, uh, sorry, of a download of a torrent, right? Correct. And, and that's why I'm not too concerned about that happening. That will, that will happen, you know, at the at the on and off ro- ramping of, of, you know, the people providing fiat liquidity in in their own jurisdictions. But right, anyway, right. So I think what's important right now is January 3rd is coming. Um, you know, we, we just want to remind people that holding your own coins is how you ultimately don't get robbed. Um, we, we've made uh, hats as usual. Um, <laughs> you can get the hats at uh, satoshirun.com and you can learn everything about Proof of Keys on proofofkeys.com. Um, we, we're going to do a lot of noise about this stuff in this coming year. Um, we think it's, it's sort of like, a, you know, it, it's, it's one of those initiatives. It's like rituals are nice and important. Rituals help people sort of remind things. And uh, we want to ideally sort of tie that with the anniversary of Bitcoin, uh, which was essentially, uh, you know, a big F you to the central banks. Um, and that's like literally what is on the, the Genesis block. Um, and, uh, so yeah, we want to tie it to that. All right. So let's move on to, uh, this concept of, uh, that your hardware wallets are unsafe, uh, wallet.fail to be honest. Like, look, I use a Trezor. I use a ledger. I'm going to start using a cold card once I get to Vegas and pick mine up uh, because that's where it was shipped. Uh, because I'm not in any place uh, long enough. So can you just, uh, so I have not like read into this. Uh, can you just explain what this is? I didn't watch yes. the one hour long video. Uh, I just posted a link to our blog uh, where we go over each of the attacks in comparison with cold card. Um, it's on the, on the Zoom yeah. chat. Yeah. Um, oh, I can't try it. Okay. I got it. Okay, here we go. So uh, you can you can scroll down a little bit, but anyway. So the 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 thing is, um, you know, there is no such thing as unhackable, right? They're just it's just a a when it's gonna happen. Uh, now there are different architectural choices, and uh, you know, and then you have to make your architectural choices based on the attack threat models that you have. Now, I want to start this by saying that, you know, security researchers that have any decency will release things in a responsible manner. So what that means is responsible disclosure is something you do, not because you care about the face of the company that makes a device or product, right? Or if they pay, if they don't pay, it doesn't matter if they're like assholes. So what's important is you do responsible disclosure because of the users. So you want to have the company fix the flaw first before you tell the world and other bad guys that, you know, here's a way of hacking people. Uh, And unfortunately, uh, Wallet.Fail didn't responsibly disclose, as far as I know, uh, to Trezor. I think they did to Ledger, which didn't act for, I mean, at least that's the claim I saw online. I don't know what is true and what is not. But I just want to reiterate that responsible disclosure is important. 
Now, what these guys did uh, is they spent a few months uh, going uh, at breaking Ledger and Trezor and showing uh, you know, a bunch of flaws in their architecture and, uh, and some bugs. So uh, one of them uh, was a glitch on the Trezor uh, main micro that you know, if, you, if you use this attack, you're able to dump the whole ROM. So the whole memory of a Trezor was available uh, and you could literally get the seed out of it. But someone, okay, but, but can you do something like, you can't do it remotely, you gotta. But, so that's the key here, right? right? I right mean, all, all these attacks required physical access to the device, right? And, and that really ups the ante, right? And that's why it's so important for your hardware wallet. Listen, anything can be hacked, right? So it is very important that like you keep your hardware wallet safe somewhere too, right? It's not meant to be a device that you just carrying your keychain. So, but you know, this was a big flaw, right? You know, hardware wallet shouldn't just release your secrets <laughs> with a glitch like that. Uh, and that was a big problem. Uh, you know, Ledger has, has had, had been having a bunch of issues with their uh, design as well. Uh, fortunately, you know, most of those also required physical access to the device. Uh, and, and essentially, these this researchers managed to own both of those wallets pretty quickly. Um, and then there was also another issue that we've all been saying for quite some time that holographic stickers uh, are stupid. They don't work. They're pointless. If anything, they give you a false sense of security. Um, security in depth is important. Um, it is important to have some physical anti-tempering uh, on so that the user knows he got something from factory that's like reasonably okay. Uh, not because it's 100% sure that it is okay. So that you can at least get the low hanging fruit attackers out of the picture, right? Uh, we prefer uh, money bags. This is what this, uh, this security uh, void proof bags do. Um, we go to the extent of putting the, the serial number of the bag inside the secure element of the device as well. Uh, but these are these are also not you know perfect. It's possible that somebody goes, copies our bag design, gets a manufacturer to make them, uh, and then ships a few that way. But again, you know, it's always about creating a, a symmetrical, a symmetrical uh, attack cost, right? So the cost of attacking code card by making fake bags would be pretty high because they have to make the bags. They have to then put the serial numbers in the secure element. And then it's going to have to be a fake device because we do this from factory. They can't change it. Um, and then they, and then they would have to like, after they made a fake device, have a fake serial number. Anyways, it, it creates this massive sort of chain of things they need to do and costs too much. And it's barely impossible. So, that's why this is so nice to do. This is why it's so important. Um, now, with the Fubar, uh, sorry, food, food Babe attack on, on, on Ledger, for example, you, you know, uh, if you have access to uh, the Ledger, uh, you could get in. You know, the same with the and the Ledger one is even worse because you cannot patch it. I don't think it's food. I don't think it's field upgradable. So all those Ledgers are right off.
um, and it's a big one. Um, now, at least with the Trezor one, I think they can fix it with a firmware update. Um, anyways, so the, I think the key here is keep your hardware wallets uh, secure, physically secured. Um, make sure you have very long pins, always have long pins, right? Because, um, you know, if something goes wrong, at least you have that. Uh, make sure you're using long seeds and, uh, and you should do better. All right, very cool. And uh, you guys are pretty stocked. Uh, how the sales going, good? It's good. Uh, we're almost running out of stock of this first batch of cold cards. Um, and it's, uh, you know, we're now working on the second batch and on, uh, you know, more updates and firmware uh, things. All right, cool. So let's move on to our favorite topic on this show, Ethereum. Um, I know it's your favorite because it came out of your home city of Toronto. And uh, uh, so this is uh, so this is great. So Tour de Meester, uh, I mean, he's gone. Uh, I mean, he's been, I'd say, 90% of his uh, career has been anti-Ethereum. Uh, he's had a couple of stretches uh, where, uh, you know, he was a little bit more open-minded on Ethereum, but uh, that's okay. And, but he's pretty much been a big critic of Ethereum throughout his career. Um, I've been the same. Like I, there hasn't been a single moment of my life in Bitcoin. And thank God I've been in Bitcoin before Ethereum was a concept. And since Ethereum has been a concept, since the day I've heard about Ethereum, I have been a critic of it ever since. So no one can ever accuse me of, hey, uh, you know, like I spoke out against Ethereum at conception and because I thought it was going to be dumb. And I'm glad that I've been right. And uh, though most people still haven't come to that conclusion. So I'm sure you've read over uh, Tour de Meester's views on all of this. Uh, all of these views are, I mean, I've been talking about all of this for a long time. Uh, this tweet that Tour references, uh, I mean, I was involved in, in that discussion as well. Uh, because, um, again, Ethereum just has so many problems. And I covered most of them in my crypto scam series. Um, oh, oops, I kind of left that. Um, so uh, I'm sure you, like I said, you, you've read the tweet storm, anything specifically jumped out at you. I commented on a couple of things uh, because you know I talked about them at length in my videos. Um, anything you want to add to this? I mean, our tour pretty much covered most of it. I, I think it's, uh, you know, it's too easy to trigger Ethereum uh, crowd because, you know, it's a shame. I mean, there is a lot of like smart people who went to work on Ethereum things because of the promises of their leader Vitalik. Um, you know, it's a centralized system. A lot of people have too much money and, and sort of time invested in those things. So they're sort of just lying to themselves. But, you know, you have a centralized system that simply doesn't work. Right. I mean, you know, they just tweet about please stop making more DAP applications because the network can't handle you know, it's, I think that it's just one of those things that, you know, the Imperial has no clothes and, and, and I think everybody knows now. I, I just, you know, and then there were a few people going after tour, just, you know, listen, everybody says stupid stuff sometimes, everybody says right stuff sometimes, but like, 
I don't think there was anything controversial on, on this Twitter, on, on this thread, on the storm. Like, there's zero controversy here. Like, I, think, I, I think he was nice. I mean, like... Yeah, he was, I, he was being... I, my history of Ethereum and your history of Ethereum uh, were not as nice to Ethereum as Tour de Meester was in this tweet storm. I think I am, I am bitter just because they suck the oxygen here in Toronto. Like this, unfortunately, this garbage chain started here. Um, you know, it was obvious to anybody technical that, you know, Ethereum won't work. It doesn't work just because of the limitations of, you know, there is no perpetual motion. Um, but, you know, unfortunately it did start. It did uh, suck the oxygen. I mean, you know, of course, a few interesting things may have come out of it. Um, I mean, very few of them. Um, I just, again, you know, I, I think this year is going to be the year that, um, you know, the delusional people will sort of move on to the chain that replaces Ethereum. Right, so, which, which feels like EOS is in line. Yeah, maybe. But, you know, EOS might just break before that, right? Because it's... It's centralized in an even more retarded. It's more centralized, yeah, which makes it more useful for the ICOs. Like exactly. I, I keep saying how if Ethereum wants to compete in the smart contract space, they need to just go completely centralized. Like Vitalik I, I think that that's what's going to happen. I think that's what I've been saying. That's what I've been saying. So like if Vitalik turns Ethereum into a corporation, if Vitalik says, I am the CEO of Ethereum, we will centralize and we will give you infinite amount of DAP space because now we're centralized and we control the database. I think they'll do much better. No, I think I think I think what's going to happen is we're going to get an announcement of Microsoft saying uh, saying that now uh, you run your own Ethereum fork for your own DAP. So it it's not even the DAPs are not even going to be on the same chain. It's going to be like you spin off like your own Ethereum fork for your own DAP. And then, you know, they talk to each other by some stupid protocol somehow. But this is going to be the amazing thing. It's going to be a you can print, centralized... You can print as much Ethereum as you want on your own fork. Yeah. So it's going to be a fully centralized, decentralized application. Right. It's gonna be ridiculous. Like, like I, I'm, I'm hoping that like Amazon could, uh, you know, la, la, like outcompete them for this when they're giving you this database that everyone can trade their DApps on. I, to me, you know, as soon as one of these like high quality scammers, right, like very high quality, like somebody with like, you know, proper addressing funding, you know, starts their 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 application, their decentralized application uh, on. Uh, liquid, right on the liquid network, they're going to create their federated ICO. They'll start there. I think that's it. That's when Ethereum is completely over, right? It, it's just that the the scammers haven't got the message yet that you can do your scam on Bitcoin now. Um, I, I think that's sort of like the game changer. And, and well, you know, I don't think they don't want the message because they're invested in Ethereum at this point. No, they're, they're not. Like a lot of these applications don't even exist, right? They're just running some stupid JavaScript script there and and pretending that they're doing all this stuff to save the world. But you know, it's probably like a week worth of work to just move that stuff somewhere else. Um, and 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 I think another thing to remember is that, like you know, Italic 
Vitalik essentially already exit scam, right? Like he already probably moved most of his his Ethereum to Bitcoin. Oh hell yeah, he's and, out. You know, he's got he's got enough funds now to go uh, after perpetual motion uh, with his unicorn shirt. It's I don't think he cares, right? Like he's I mean, have you seen his latest tweets? I mean, they're like I don't, I don't follow Vitalik. It, I, no, nah, he blocked me, I think. But anyways, <laughs> these guys don't care, right? Like, it, it's done. They've already made their few billions, and, and they're they're moving on. Right. And they just no, no, on they, they, no, Ethereum, and this is, like, even like a year ago, more than a year ago, I was saying how Ethereum is a more dangerous scam than BitConnect, because BitConnect had a very short lifespan, and people continue to believe in Ethereum. And they're not that different. Like, Ethereum is way closer to BitConnect than it is to Bitcoin and people just don't get it. Yeah, but I think what keeps Ethereum alive is the fact that too many people defended, put their reputations on the line uh, for Ethereum, right? So they, they're gonna delude themselves and try to save face for a long time before Ethereum truly goes away. But it's also not impossible that that change just stops. You could literally have a day where no new blocks, <laughs> that's it <laughs> boom stopped big bug or something you know and that's it because once the smart people stop working on it to try to keep on going they move on to something else because you know they will eventually realize uh you know this could all end and uh and it needs to end because you know it, it's just uh it, to me the the biggest issue with ethereum is like it's too close to a non-scam for the person who's not technical. So it sucks the oxygen. It truly sucks the oxygen and, and it takes smart people away from doing interesting things to work on stupid stuff. It reminds me on, on the days when uh, everybody was starting a social network or a photo sharing app. So you had people that could be putting people in Mars working on stupid photo sharing apps uh, because the photo sharing app is going to save the world. Um, you know, it's just, uh, we, we just need to get the smart people working on, on, on things that matter. Yeah. So I'm looking for my new favorite tweet about the, uh, Oh, found it. Great. How can I, yeah, you're going to love this. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen this tweet. I only, so I interviewed uh, Murad uh, Mahmoudov. Uh, you know who that is, right? Must stop Murad on Twitter. Yes. So I interviewed him yesterday. We did a little fireside chat. And in one of his articles, he highlighted the following tweet. It is uh, from June, 2017. So not even a, oh, a little over a year and a half ago, 200 likes. I'm not sure you've seen it. I've never seen it before. Yesterday was the first time I saw it. And it's absolutely amazing. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> oh my God. I, how could I forget? Actually, I, I don't know. I think I blocked him in like, cause I haven't seen <laughs> tweets in a long um, time. So I got unblocked by him recently, but uh, so I'll oh. read the tweet uh, just for the audio listeners. And it says, I wonder how long it'll be before we can implement Bitcoin on top of Ethereum and get a more decentralized system than the real Bitcoin. Wow. Oh shit, Tour is here. That is, that is just fantastic. I mean, but it goes to show, right? It, it's, it's a, the, the issue is that there's too many sort of uh, people that can't... Oh. Hey, Tour. 
<laughs> there you go. We were just talking about you. I gotta, you gotta unmute bottom left corner, or I can force unmute you. Oh, oh, yeah, gotcha. Gotcha. So, hey, yeah, so, yeah, so, you know, it's, it's like there is all these people that can't create hard things and they will just go and sort of make things that have promises and, and sort of sell that to VCs. And, and Ethereum is just that. It's just, it's like a, an endless world of promises. It's promises from the people that make the stupid chain and the people who make the stupid apps on top of the chain. There's really like it's nothing of value there. Nothing that's hard, nothing that is interesting. Um, okay, fine, there's maybe one or two things that are interesting, but you know, those, could, those, those people and those things can be re-implemented and moved on back to Bitcoin. Um, All right, let me, let, me get, let me get two in here. We're slightly crunched on time. Hey man, um, I loved your tweet storm. Uh, and we we're just saying you've been a little nicer to Ethereum over the years than me or Rodolfo up there. And uh, yeah, anything else you want to add? Anything you think you missed? Uh, uh, I don't know. You just saw my screen share. And that was an Amon Gonsire tweet that I just discovered yesterday, which is one of my, which may go down in history as uh, the craziest thing ever said about the hype of Ethereum. Yeah, I mean, for me, the gist of, I mean, my view on Ethereum is just that it's a scientific experiment and, and I just think it's irresponsible to, uh, to monetize that and to sell it to retail investors. Like it's, it's, it's all interesting stuff like sharding on a blockchain and, and proof of stake and decision making systems and decentralized autonomous organizations. I, it's all very interesting stuff, but um yeah, just irresponsible to to claim that it's just another engineering challenge or just another engineering job to transition from proof of work to proof of stake, for example. I think that's that's just irresponsible. And, uh, and, and, and the problem is that the more, like right now, Ethereum is more and more moving towards modular scaling. They are talking about lightning. They are talking about side chains. But it's like, well, but you can't deny that the main chain is way more insecure than Bitcoin's chain is. So the more they pursue Bitcoin's model, the more they're going to be stuck with having a, a worse value proposition. Yeah, it, you know, again, it's just for being nice. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think it's criminal. You know, um, they've been promising things. They're provably wrong or just you know it's just beyond bullshit i mean there is no serious person that you know would say that proof of stake is around the corner or that it works right now i mean listen eventually it's possible that somebody figures out right but it's not going to be the ethereum people and it's not going to be anytime soon it's really hard stuff um and if you have proof of stake I mean, you can come up with way better stuff than Ethereum because, you know, then you solve all constraints of, of physics, right? I mean, like, you just don't have a need for scarcity in terms of, of, of like, scarcity of, of proof of work or power or, or costs, and you can do anything. So, uh, you know, again, it's like these guys just go and they lie their faces off with, with a big smile, and the people who took funding to build 
even stupider solutions on top of the garbage chain, you, you know, yeah, that's totally possible. It's coming, you, you know, like in the next conference, we'll talk about it uh, because they need that sweet VC cash coming in because they know this stuff is not going anywhere. Uh, everybody's on life support there. It's, it's interesting how there's this parallel with the political world where, you know, in a way, you know, this, the concept of technical debt where you can incur debts by making, by just cutting corners and assuming that the solution is going to come somewhere in the future. It's kind of similar in politics where, you know, in a, in a welfare system, you can, you can borrow money or you can have all these promises that will happen down the road. And then of course, uh, once down the road happens, you're no longer around. And so, but you cashed in on the promise anyway, as a politician. And so I feel like it's similar with some of these startups and, and, and uh, new coins is that they, the ICO allows them to cash in on the promise. And then when it's time to deliver, they're, they're nowhere to be seen or they just keep, keep changing the goalposts. Um, and that's just, you know, and then the, the very poor, peer review culture, I think, is a symptom of that is like, why wouldn't you want to be extremely rigorous? Why wouldn't you want to call out scammers in your own community? Well, maybe it's because you kind of benefit from the noise. And you don't really want there to be a clear signal that, hey, scaling is not happening. Like there's always like there's five, six or seven scaling solutions at any time that seem extremely promising. It's like how convenient because that means that if if one of them fails, obviously, you always have some backup stories to tell people. I mean, Ethereum is fairly promiscuous, right? I mean, everybody has a piece of everybody else's ICO. You know, they're all working together and, and they're all backed by the same handful of VCs that sort of like make them play nice with the other ones too. It's this, it's this like, a, it's like a tupperware party, right? You know, it's, it's it really is like MLM. Um, they, they are really sort of doing multi-level marketing here. They are getting the next guy in and, and then they have to sort of play ball because they have the same VCs or they're owning the, 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 the token from the other one and they want to have exposure at the right conference. It, it, it's terrible. Who was it that coined that Ethereum is a Keynesian and Bitcoin is Austrian? Uh, was it Jimmy? I, I can't remember. Oh, it could have been Jimmy. Yeah, but you know, it, it really is that. Those guys can just keep on passing the ball to the next generation, right? I mean, they can just keep on printing because, you know, as long as they can go, if the imperials have no clothes there, they would just and, keep on going. And that's the thing. And most of the people that believe in Ethereum, I think it's not that they necessarily believe in Ethereum, it's just that they don't believe in Bitcoin. So to them, uh, somebody more competition to do what Ethereum does is a good thing. They're not realizing that they're decentralizing their Ethereum into even dumber projects or identical, identically as dumb projects. All right, anything you want to add to her? We got um, our, uh, we, have, we have one more last topic, which is uh, Coindesk's amazing list of influencers. Now, Tour, you are on most influencers list, but not on this one. Uh, you got outbid by people I have never heard of. I wonder if there are people here you have never heard of. Um, but uh, yeah, so I tweeted out my list of who I expect to be in uh, like for 2019, uh, who I believe will be the influencers of 2019. 
Uh, so we're not really going to talk about Coindesk's list, which is ridiculous. But anyone else you want to mention who you feel is a good influencer going into 2019 that you like following and you like learning from? Well, I th first, first of all, I thought it was interesting that um, Bitcoin Magazine actually dissed Coindesk in a tweet. They like retweeted that and they're like basically saying like, come on, guys, what is this? <laughs> yeah, but they didn't make their list. I'm sure they're going to make some dumb choices as well. Yeah, I mean, it's hard with influencers because it's kind of like the problem with Reddit as well is like, you know, things that are upvoted, they are popular, they're objectively popular, but it doesn't mean that they're true. And it's the same with people that, you know, have potentially objective influence on social media, but it doesn't mean that what they're saying is, you know, is, is necessarily true. Um, and so it's kind of like, you, I, but, but at the same time, it gives you an idea of the zeitgeist or where people's minds are at or who they're listening to. Um, I mean, my ultimate influencer in Bitcoin is, is probably Greg Maxwell, but he's, he's not on Twitter. Um, so, yeah. like, I mean, you know, it's hard. It's, um, I, I think this always been, this is a humanity problem and it's been since we are monkeys, it's that popularity gets confused with truth or source of truth, right? I mean, it's just how humans behave and we're not gonna get out of that uh, ever. Uh, I have no hope for that. Uh, fortunately, you know, bluntly bad lists like the Coindesk one, I mean, you know, should just be called out. But like, I just wish we'd get out of this stuff and just stop making lists every year of, you know, best this, top that, because you know, it's, it's a very myopic way of, of looking at the universe. I mean, it really is terrible. Um, and, and it creates like false idols, right? I mean, you know, look at Ver, look at, I mean, almost every single person that got brought up all the way to the top is going to get crucified at some point because humans are humans, right? By, by the way, speaking of, speaking of lists, I have one list. Anybody can look at it. It's under my profile on Twitter, lists one. You can click on this list, and I should probably click on this list more often. And you can look at it. I called it Bitcoin Sanity Check. So you can see the people on this list and who I follow. You can look at the members of this list. And um, I mean, I'm sure there are a few people that I missed. Uh, but here are the people that in my list, on my actual list on Twitter, that I sometimes go to to see what's going on. And these are the people that I follow. Uh, in this list, not all of them tweet all the time, but there you guys are. Actually, NVK, you're not on this list. You probably should be. Uh, so I don't have you. I have here. not a, san a, a sanity uh, check uh, source. Yeah. Um, but that's basically, I mean, like some of these people have, I mean, I, I edit this list like once every six months or something. I take someone out, add someone in. Uh, but that's pretty much my list of who I like to follow. And some of them are finance, some of them are devs, some of them are general Bitcoin stuff. So go ahead and check that out. I think that when you have a system like Bitcoin that is completely distributed um, and, and the development is also like that, it, it makes it very hard for you to know where to look at if you're not technical, right? Uh, it's not obvious to you. Um, but I think something that people do need to realize is that there's not going to be a simple answer. There's not going to be a simple place that look at this site and here's the truth, right? If you want to be your own bank, you're always going to have to do some research and keep track of some stuff.
and or at least have a source of a few places that are your sources of truth. And then, you know, once in a while sort of recreate it or sort of like double check your things because it's the whole point of not having an any. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with that. And I would add that, you know, you kind of do need your proxies and it's probably better to choose individuals than it is to choose organizations. Like early on, there was like the Bitcoin Foundation and that all, you know, went to hell. And and, and it's the same thing with these um, news websites. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's the same thing with those, these news websites is they might start off being great and then they, they kind of start having to pander to their advertisers or whatever. Whereas with individuals, you can really kind of do a due diligence background check and see if they've been consistent and, uh, and see if they are actually independent. And if not, what their interests are. Like, I think that's, it's not bad if people have affiliations, like everybody creates alliances and partnerships. It's just, you want to be aware of them and, and put, you know, possibly keep them in mind. It's nice to know, like, and you can even like sort of, like follow what people say, like there's people out there that you may not agree with them or you may know where they're sort of like their, their incentives align with. And that's still important. That's still a source of truth. It may not be the truth you want, but like, you know, we, we know where some people are aligned with, right? I mean, I know that Roger wants to do the thing that he wants to do. And, and, and this, this, like, uh, this, this, uh, it's still good information, right? It's still important to know. Uh, it's actually better to know uh, that he is uh, doing the thing that he's doing because of what he wants to do than sort of like follow people that you have no clue where the incentives are, right? Like, why is this person doing what they're doing? Why are they selling this thing, right? Like, how do they make their money? Um, you know, it's, it's why I like Apple products and not Google products, right? Like, I mean, they, you know, Google sells ads and he sells information that's what they do it doesn't mean apple doesn't do it it doesn't mean apple is great it just means that you know apple's money comes from selling hardware so you know that is my personal preference it doesn't mean it's right but at least you know uh uh like where, where those preferences and incentives are uh, all right guys i i gotta do like a five minute on price um uh, i was supposed to do uh and uh, a podcast with Forklog in Russian at the top of the hour. I told him I'll be like 10 minutes late. Uh, so, uh, Tour, I uh, would love to have you on the show more often, man. I'll just like randomly text you the link or something or text me anytime you want to jump on. Uh, you're always welcome. Uh, if you're free at the end of January, uh, swing over Vegas for Unconfiscatable, January 24 to 26. Rodolfo, unfortunately, can't make it. Uh, but thank you for sending over some cold cards. Uh, they will uh, go, uh, there, there will be some awesome giveaways. And, uh, but yeah, so tour, if you're free, text me, you're welcome uh, to come. Uh, we'll get you in a poker game. We'll get you to carnivory dinner. Uh, would love to have you there. All right, guys, I got to do a quick uh, price stream. Uh, feel free to stay on, feel free to jump off. Uh, and then we're going to have to end it. Any final thoughts tour? anything you want to end on? What do you, th uh, what do you, what do you think of price? Shit. You, you, you're an analyst too. Um, my, um, just my view is that we're, we're, um, entering, uh, accumulation. Like this is the accumulation phase of Bitcoin where, you know, value investors buy and where there's more weekends that are being shaken out and that can, uh, and that usually means that price is more, 
you know, it's more lateral and, and, and you'll see these price channels and things, things like that. Um, so I, I, you know, the drawdown of like 85% from the all time high, that's pretty much uh, in line with the uh, 2014 drawdown. Um, so yeah, extremely, I think it's an extremely interesting phase in Bitcoin. Uh, I was, you know, like you were, Tone, I was worried around the 6,000 level that that support was not going to hold. Um, you know, we could have more uh, more um, capitulation happening, but I do feel like the sentiment has really changed. It's uh, like the, the hopium is really kind of starting to, you know, I, I think it's evaporated. I think a lot of people are, are kind of um, disgusted and apathetic and, and that's, you know, that's the phase in the bear market where things go sideways for a while and where smart money starts coming in. Yeah, I think a lot of the made, making fun of Bitcoin articles in traditional publications on Wall Street, uh, people tooting their horns, how they were right about how terrible Bitcoin is. I think the more of those come out, the better it is for, you know, getting that bottom in. Uh, so the big question that I've been asking people, uh, I tweeted out a couple of days ago, I still believe uh, that there's only a 30% chance that the low for the bear market is in. I still think there is a 70% probability in my head uh, that we are going to go sub 3000. Once we go sub 3000, I can then, you know, readjust my probabilities. I had Nick on my channel the other day, another trader. He's leaning uh, with a slightly higher than 50% confidence that the low for the bear market is in price wise. We're not talking about when the bull market's going to start. Uh, this uh, accumulation can last for a while. So um, what say you to her, like on a percentage basis, uh, what do you think the odds are that we're not going to go sub 3,000? Like, yeah, like the big question like, is, do you still think we can go lower in price? I mean, right now, it's like one of those, like looking at the, the long-term graphs, I don't see the bear market being over. Um, you know, we could, I, I usually, you know, bottoms need to be retested. Um, so yeah, I would be surprised if if we only go up from now, I'd be really surprised. Like bear markets don't usually have V-shaped bottoms unless there's some kind of Gox type event that happens. Um, but so yeah, like, you know, 50-50, lower than 3,000, sure. Um, it's, 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 it's one of those things you just, I, 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 in, in this phase of the market, I like to just more short-term look at what the price is doing and position myself accordingly. And every time there's a, a washout, you just accumulate some more. Um, it's an interesting phase. Yeah, no, and uh, no, uh, well, we completely agree that the bear market is not yet over. Uh, the interesting question is, will the price go lower? Because uh, I do think that the I don't I don't expect the bull market to start until late in the year, maybe even early next year. Uh, I do think there's going to be a lot more pain, but that pain could be time wise or price wise. We will see. Uh, Rodolfo, it, it would be interesting to see how, how macro events play into this. Like if if the current you know market crash, if it really continues and deepens. That must, you know, be it positive or negative, but it must have some influence on Bitcoin. Like money has to either flow in or out uh, if, if people are panicking in traditional markets. I, yeah. uh, jumping on this. Final well, I think, I think this, this, this bear market is a little different than the last one, 
just because we have one variable that was not through that one, but it was through uh, when the government taught everybody how to buy drugs online, um, which is we have this this sort of like this this small little uh, um, uh, spark of mainstream midstream people starting to understand that Bitcoin is good for freedom of speech, and and these cohorts in the internet are massive. Um, you know, you, you get like this Joe Ru uh, the the Rubin and the Joe Rogans. These guys' audiences combined are more than CNN gets per day. Um, if if these guys do get some buy-in into Bitcoin uh, and start sort of using Bitcoin instead of some shit coin they might come up with, who knows? Um, you could see them being the trigger to turn the bear market around earlier or to just make the bear market very confusing uh, because you could have little waves of, of, new, of noobs that would come at only uh, peaks coming in in the middle of this market. Uh, that to me is the only sort of major unknown. Otherwise I'd say uh, we're not gonna see uh, this bear market over until we see a lot more capitulations in uh, VC-backed companies and uh, and a lot of uh, uh, you know just soft business models going away. Hey, hey Tua, oh. I got one, I got one last question for you, but go ahead. Okay, because I, I got to jump. Yeah, go ahead. Well, one last question. So I'm on. I'm now on record saying that this bear market won't end until Bitcoin starts to separate from all of the altcoins. Uh, so Bitcoin goes up, but well, like the, the reason why I don't think the bear market is over is because I look at the Ethereum chart and Ethereum chart is rising faster. Where the hell did it go? And Ethereum is rising faster than Bitcoin's been rising off the lows. That tells me the bear market's not over. I expect the bear market to end when Bitcoin goes up, but Ethereum stays down or keeps going down. And I'm using Ethereum as a proxy for everything other than Bitcoin. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I've like throughout... 2017, I've used Ethereum as the proxy for the altcoin space, and it's worked pretty well. It's very highly correlated. It's definitely highly correlated with all the ERC-20 tokens, uh, and there's a lot of them. So, yeah, I agree on that. And then, so uh, in terms of whether it shows that the, the bear market is not over yet, it's, it's hard to tell because, to me at least, because right now I think Ethereum is only 20% of Bitcoin's value. So it makes sense that every time there's like a bear market rebounds, you know, percentage wise, Ethereum might jump more because people think that, you know, you can reap a bit more profit by, by going along one of these uh, low volume altcoins. Um, so I don't know. My view on it is that this bear market will get dragged out as long as people think that. You may be right. All right. All right. I gotta go. Bye, Tour. Thanks for joining us, man. See ya. Uh, Tom, the way I was explaining on Twitter the, the shitcoin stuff, uh, like tracking Bitcoin, is you have to look at Bitcoin sort of like the sea, and then the shitcoins are the, the foam, the garbage foam floating on the sea. And, you know, they're going to be around, and they're going to go up and down with Bitcoins. So it's not going away. No, but eventually the dot-coms that didn't have a business did not go up and down with the market, right? Like yeah, eventually, you know, those domains were still expensive. You know, some people made some good money in those domains even later on. I mean, look at even AOL is around still. <laughs> I know. Okay. All right. Hey, guys. Go, go. Uh, you got to go. I'm going to let you trade. 
Uh, just right. a reminder to people, get the hats. Yeah, get the hats, guys. All right. Um, I got to do, I'm already like 15 minutes late for my next podcast with Forklog, uh, the update for the Russian speaking community. Uh, so if you speak Russian, head on over to Forklog. I just scrolled to the Bitcoin charts. There is nothing interesting going on. We are consolidating. We did bounce uh, on the first day of the year, like I expected uh, people to buy back in. And I am still leaning slightly bullish, but there's really nothing interesting going on in the charts. Uh, the S&P opened up low, but it's now starting to have a reasonable day. Uh, we'll take a look at it at the end of the week. It should start to get a little more interesting. On that note, guys, please check out Unconfiscatable. I don't even have a link. I'll keep working on tour, trying to get him over there as well. Uh, thank you, guys. Head on over to Forklog, and I'll see you there. Bye.